MotoGP season is on the horizon. Jason Pridmore, you've got to be excited. I am thrilled. Yeah, man. It's, it's great. We're finally in, uh, into race season, and it's good. All the websites have been full of testing and from World Superbike, uh, MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3. Everybody's been on the bikes now. But, uh, yeah, this week we get to watch some racing, finally. You good, Jason? Everything good in your world or what? Good. Busy. Hey, I made a hole-in-one. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. It was a good one. I know. It's good. It's uh, How I've, many? How many in your life? That's five. Wow. Five. And I've got to uh, today. So today, I'm once we nail this podcast and get it sorted, I leave today. And uh, I got a, the Southern California Mid-Amateur Qualifier is tomorrow. So I'm going to go play this golf course because I've never seen it. So I'm going to go down there this afternoon, play. Get up early tomorrow morning and try to qualify for for that, and then I'm heading straight to Chuckwalla from there for another big week at there. You know, another big weekend out at Chuckwalla. And that certainly is. We're going to talk more about that later, but we got a ton to get to in this podcast, including eventually we're going to welcome in uh, Steve English, who's our fellow commentator over in Europe. But this podcast, first of all, everybody, if you're listening to this, subscribe whether it's on Podbean or Apple Podcasts or wherever. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're alerted to every time we do some things. Um, so obviously, this is the kickoff of the 2021 MotoGP season happens in the weekend coming up. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get some comments from Steve English about the MotoGP stuff and some World Superbike stuff. But also, news presented by Arai, Supercross results from two races, Supercross Fantasy. And then later on in the show, we're going to be talking about Battle of the Olds, which happens this weekend. And we're also going to talk about my Greg's Ride to the Races thing that I have going on. So we might as well just kind of jump into this whole thing because there's a lot of good stuff happening on the horizon. And Jason, the reality is at this moment in time, I'm just stalling because I didn't actually pull up my Arai reads yet, you know, for, for the How podcast. do you not know that stuff? Like, by the, like, you know it. The antimicrobials? Yeah, you know it. And the fact that your head gets bigger or skinnier or whatever it is that happens with you and you can fit it on your brain. Hmm? You're, huh? Hmm? Huh? How was that new lid? The new helmet is phenomenal. It's wicked phenomenal. I'll tell you all about it. But one of the good things about this new XD4 that I have, which is for ADV riding, is avoiding impact energy intrusions by sliding or glancing off surfaces and obstacles. That's a key role in a helmet shell. And requires a strong, smooth shell. For this purpose, Arai handcrafts each shell to be as strong and light as possible with a high fiber-to-resin ratio of proprietary super fiber, fiber and Z resins. However, this process leaves a rough surface, which requires many steps to prepare it for a beautifully smooth finish without adding any excess weight. Even though invisible, these details improve protection. That's Arai's obsession. Check out AraiAmericas.com. Pick what you like. Head down to your local dealer for fitment. And grab a new lid from them, AraiAmericas.com. Boom, boom, boom. The new helmet's good. It's always good, though, Jason, when you can go directly to the source. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Wheel from Arai, you know, I stopped by on my ride down, and he pulled it apart and showed me some things that I need to know and installed the Cardo communication system as well, more professionally than I did. I literally just stuffed this thing in there, stuffed the the speakers in there and the wires and he actually did a nice job. So that, that was really good. So what you, you're jamming the tunes while you're driving. And if somebody calls, you can talk to them and all that stuff. Is that what's yep, going on? You can there? do voice. Yeah. You can do voice texting. I can mm. also listen to the turn by turn directions on, uh, on the river app or whatever app you're using and stuff. Yep. And, and then he actually, Jeff had a Cardo. So he wrote up 
to Richie's dealership when I picked the spike up. And then we rode back down to like two and a half hours to his place. Oh, wow. And he had the system. So it was really, that was the first time I'd had like peer to peer communication. And it was good because I was just following him and we had, you know, a couple conversations on the way down. And his only gripe was he couldn't sing while he was riding because <laughs> the, the thing, anyway. All right, listen, let's start off with American Flat Track JP. On May 1st, they're going to go to Atlanta Motor Speedway and do a Super TT. Now, a TT race in Flat Track has always included at least one turn that goes right and sometimes a jump, and it's on the dirt. The Super TT, which includes some pavement, kind of like they did in 2019 at Daytona, that's what that's all about. So, uh, you know, what do you think about uh, adding a little pavement to some dirt track racing? I think when you look around the, the globe right now, every series is trying to reinvent certain parts of their their brand to make it better. I mean, you saw, like we talked a little bit last week, NASCAR you know, was using a second chicane at Daytona the week prior, and um, they ran the road course the week after, I believe. So everybody's trying some new things. I hope, I was not a big fan of the whole Daytona, like the way they did it. I thought that the track didn't look like very much fun. It just didn't look very good, and I'm hoping if they try this again in Atlanta, the track might be a little bit more conducive and, and uh, provide for some better racing. Yeah, it should be pretty good. Yeah. All right, Jay, let's go ahead and welcome in our guy, Steve English, because we're going to start talking some world super bikes. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. Good having you on. Hi guys. Good to chat again. Yeah. So Steve, let's jump right into this, um, this stuff with world Superbike because it was announced that the all-star Suzuki or the all-star racing team is back with Yamaha. I want to say all-star Suzuki because it's, it's been so long. Jason, you raced against these guys all the way back when you raced world super sport and was the first American to stand on the podium. Um, Steve, what do you know about the all-star or all-star a, I don't know how you really, I mean, we've always said all-star, but what do you think about these guys being back in? Yeah, Alstara come back and it's it's exciting, but it's going to be risky to see whether or not they're going to run Corona livery again. That could be a little bit of a touchy subject for a lot of people <laughs> this year. But uh, I think it's I think it's really positive. I think it's good for the championship. They're a big name. They had loads of great history in the championship. You think back to some of the bikes they've had for Corsair, Biaggi, Frankie Keeley back in the day as well. So they've got that good history, but I wouldn't expect too much of them next year. Jason, what was it that team that was on Bomoda that one year was it with Anthony Gobert one was that that team no. it was that was different okay. yeah that, that was, was a different, different program yeah, yeah. yeah these guys Francis Bata I remember him being at Laguna and if there was ever a chance that I that I had to kind of semi possibly go to World Supersport that would have been it because um, we had actually started to talk to them just a little bit when we were at Laguna guy was can't believe how long ago that was but um, I believe the guy I was racing against that day was Stefan Chambon. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember him. So, yep. and then of course, Corsa came back and rode that bike uh, to his second world championship. Uh, I, that would have been probably what Steve six years later was it? Oh five or oh six that he won the championship? I think on the Suzuki. Can't yeah, remember. it was oh five. I think. Yeah, oh five. So, um, you know, but but that team was big. They were a big presence, obviously, in the paddock, and the fact that they're coming back is good. Now, like Steve, who's riding that thing? Greg said maybe Ponson's riding that bike. Yeah, it's going to be Chris Ponson. And I think what's going to end up happening with the team is that uh, Francis is still going to run the trackside operations, but the Ponsons will run the money side of things. Mm. And that ends up always being a little bit of a question mark. I think we all saw what Ponson could do whenever he's been racing, whether it was in stock thousands, whether it's been in a lot of different championships. He's He's been okay. He's been able to ride a MotoGP bike, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, I wouldn't expect too much from him. Greg, they did actually run the Bermudas, but I think that was in about 2013 or 14, something like that. 
okay. little bit later on down the line, was it? Yeah. 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 I know, Greg. I'm, I'm saying no to that, and I honestly, I didn't, I couldn't really remember. I, but I, I didn't think it was, but yeah. it, you know, it was yeah. one of the greatest racing stories I think I've ever had. Well, Philip Island was especially Philip Island, mean, Anthony Gober. That's what I'm talking yeah. about in the rain, like crushing everybody in the rain after I believe his grandmother had passed away, and wins on this Bomoda that never even saw the light of a podium again. I don't think so. Yeah, no. Coming from the last row, I think he led by like six seconds on the opening lap or something. It was yeah. insane watching that race. That and how. Was a, yeah, how great he was. So, um, Steve, do you think that this was a thing where had uh, – I mean, obviously, for us over here in America, uh, having Loris Bass here is a big score for us. But, I mean, would this have been something that was being tossed around and talked about months ago and it just finally came together and that's why uh, this is going on? Or, is it, or like you say, the Ponsons have brought in money and just kind of collaborated now with Bata and that team? I'll be honest. I think if anyone had said they saw this one coming – they were incredibly well connected because mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. when, when Tenkadi were coming back to run on a superbike, you know, we all heard lots of rumors around the paddock for a long time. The fact that this is another Yamaha customer team as well, you know, it's stretching Yamaha, but it's really weird, yeah. It's it's a strange one. And and it's great and it could be good long term, but World Superbikes is so competitive. I can't imagine how the team are going to be able to jump in with a rider like Ponson and expect to be able to turn up any trees. I think it's it's great to have them back. Like you said, Jay, they were a big name and they were always good atmosphere inside the paddock. So that'll be good to have back whenever we're able to, to have a, a more open paddock again. But in terms of on track, I don't really expect too much from them. Mm. Now, World Superbike's still a long way off in the distance in terms of getting the race season started, but they were testing at Misano, and it looks like Michael Ruben Rinaldi kind of led the way. He was really close to Tom Sykes' lap record in 2018. Uh, Garrett Gerloff was like P3.4 off of that. What can you tell us that you've learned about the test, Steve? Uh, well, the main thing was that it was just a chance for everyone to get themselves up to speed again. It was the first time on track for a lot of these teams. We saw Rinaldi look fast. But that's what you'd expect. He knows the bike inside out. He's obviously changed to be on the factory team, but he's out to prove that he warrants that seat because at the end of last season, whenever Ducati decided that they were going to go with Rinaldi over Chaz, there was all the talk inside the paddock about how this was a massive mistake. But now it's up to Rinaldi to prove that it wasn't a mistake. It's up to Ducati to prove it wasn't a mistake. So he's more motivated than ever. I'm looking forward to seeing him at the test next week. I fly out to Barcelona next Monday. And that's when there's an official test where everyone's out. And it'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of change in Rinaldi compared to whenever he's been on the Barney bike or the Go 11 bike. Jason, you raced at Mizano. Is that right? I did. I did ride at Mizano. And, so, um, but yeah. how difficult? So there was Garrett Gerloff's first go there. It was a couple of days yeah. worth of testing. He ends up four tenths off. How difficult is that track? I mean, I've raced it on MotoGP. That, it's, you know, game. It's, just, it's just kind of very flat. I had literally, when, when you look back at, um, when I raced, it was probably the worst weekend of my life. So it might not even be fair of me to talk about Mizano because I was pretty miserable there that weekend. I was extremely sick and the team I was on, my, my, neither one of my bikes had engines in it before Friday morning practice. And the whole first practice I was breaking in a motor the whole time. So the track itself, I think the more I've watched it on TV, I can see how it could kind of be fun. It, it usually breeds pretty decent racing. Um, but it's flat. It's, I wouldn't say it's like one of the greatest, you know, tracks that those guys go to over there. Um, but which, uh, which direction did you? So I went the direction you, they're going now. I went the direction they're going now, which yeah. is which clockwise. is clockwise. Correct. I, I rode it counterclockwise. Correct. And, uh, yeah. 
Yep. And I crashed in turn one, which is where Wayne Rainey crashed. Actually. Fell off as well. Yeah. I crashed in turn one the way it is now mm-hmm. in my second session. Like I said, it was a bad weekend for me. But the thing I did like about it, Steve, is it's right down the road from Rimini. So we would get out of the track in the evenings and get down get down to the beach for ice cream at least. So that was good. That was about the only highlight of the weekend for me. I have to say, Jade, like, you know, Greg's crashed there, you've crashed there. Mm. I've fallen there as well. I was oh, out running right. the track last I was out running the track last year and tripped up. <laughs> so you know, it wasn't exactly fast, but it was through those fast rights at the end of the lap. So I really ah. felt like I was finding the limit of my shoes. But like You gotta you know, tie your shoes. You, you got a draft down there. Did Lowe's give you a draft down the back straight and you got in there a little deep, did you? Well, it, it was actually Corinne I was trying to catch, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm you? not catching her. I'm not catching her. She's great. Yeah, Corinne's great. Corinne is, is Alex Lowe's wife. She's a sweetheart. And, uh, you know, I think that they also tested, speaking of uh, Corinne and Alex Lowe's, they tested, uh, where were they at? They were in, uh, were they? No, they were at Jerez. Were they not? Then, down in Jerez for two days. So yes. I think it was two half days that they did, which takes one day out of the allocation for, for Alex. And uh, speaking to him, it seemed like a really positive test. He it was did. talking about it being one of the, the better days he's had on the bike. And, you know, he, he knows that he needs to make a, a step forward this year. And that's where it's really important to use these test days while. And the Hondas? What did you, you find out about the Hondas down there as far as um, Haslam and Batista were there as well, were they not? Yeah, they were out testing for a couple of days. And, you know, they were still a step behind Kawasaki, which is worrying for Honda whenever you look at it that, Lowe's was back his first day on a bike in a long time, nursing an injury and still off that pace. But you also don't really know the program they're running. Honda still run a very secretive ship and mm-hmm. it's hard to get a lot of info from them. Obviously, Leon Camier is in there now as the team manager as well. So they've got a few changes and it's going to be interesting to see how they fare whenever everyone's together in Catalonia to see whether or not they have made the step because the bike's good. You know, We saw that last year. It's got a great engine. Chassis is good. You know, it can, it can flick around nice and easy. But now they need to make it a little bit more workable, just have a bigger window for it. Speaking of Camir, have you had a chance to talk to him at all? I mean, I think I've always thought of him, this is a great guy, and uh, shame to see him have to kind of go out the way he did. But to pick up right where he's at, I, you know, I never saw that coming at all. But I think it's really a, you know, we've seen that that the riders, like like a guy like Pierre Reba and some guys that have had success as racers, Andrew Pitt comes to mind as well that have gone into a managerial role or even a crew chief role, there's been a lot of success over in that championship over there uh, from guys like that. So, Kemi, have you spoke to him at all? I spoke to him whenever he got the job, just to touch base as much as anything else, and I planned on doing an interview with him and never quite got it sorted. So I'll, the first time I'll probably get to talk to him will be next week down in, in Catalonia. But, you know, it's one of those ones that, again, not a lot of people saw coming, but it follows the route, the route, the route, the the road that Honda have gone down in MotoGP as well. Because mm-hmm. obviously with Alberto Pucci, you've got a former racer come in, runs the show there. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of team manager Leon actually is. And it'll be interesting to see how much responsibilities they give him right from the outset. Because it's a tough one to jump into. You know, if you look at, if you jump into a BSB team or you jump into a Moto America team, there isn't that same depth in the field. You can paper over a lot of cracks. Whereas in World Superbikes at the minute, like, you know, I, I'm I'm sick telling everyone how good the championship could potentially be again this year because we've just got tons of good bikes on the grid now, which is what's going to make it difficult for Honda really to be able to to maximize what they have got. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting championship, and I know that as the season gets closer, you know, we're we're definitely going to have you back on um, just talking about all of it. But it's good to see all the guys back in action. I did speak to Alex a little bit too, and he said that you know physically he felt better. They were going through some different 
electronic characteristics on the bike. It sounded like, and uh, some, some different thoughts and ideas of what he's got going on there. So it's going to be good to see those guys all back in action. And finally, in some Moto America news, uh, Bobby Fong will return to the M4X Star Suzuki team from the Hono Superbike class, teamed up with Stock Thousand champion Cameron Peterson. More on that in coming weeks. But, Jay, were you shocked by the press release when it finally came out? No, I don't think that's uh, <laughs> like the worst-kept secret around, I think, Fong and Cam Peterson. Um, and it looks like SDK and Lockoff, from everything I've seen, looks like the guys on the 600. So that's not been you know, something that we, that we uh, didn't kind of already see coming. You know, that team always seems to be able to uh, pull itself together really nicely. Don't know. I haven't heard anything about any other classes that they're running. Um, it looked like I did see, um, I think Wyatt Ferris is going to be down in Coda. Yeah, on a thousand. So I know we're taking off for, you, you and I got a pretty hectic schedule. But to see Fong and then Cam, obviously, on the Suzuki's pretty strong contenders there. Um, I didn't get to watch the whole interview, but Fong was talking about how you know, having Loris Baz over here is a good thing. Get on his good side early because he could be a guy that could help battle with the with the Yamahas um, of Gagne and Heron and, again, Skolci and those guys. So um, moving forward, who watched Supercross this weekend? You guys both watched Supercross this weekend? Yep, I watched nope. it. You didn't nope. watch it. Well, you didn't get to see it, but going back, going back a few days, let's go to the second round at, uh, at Arlington. Arlington. And if you remember last year – Cooper Webb, I think it was last year, had a big crash or, yeah, uh, and ended up getting hitting, getting himself on the concrete. And he goes back to Arlington this year and just sweeps it, wins both rounds. And, and I think, really, we could sit there, we could talk about all the other riders, the Roxons, the Tomax. I mean, Barsha's been amazing, I think. Barsha's actually had a really good ride rides the, the last couple of weekends. But, really, the story for me is is all about one guy. It's about, it's, it's, it's about Cooper Webb. Cooper Webb is just... Right now, taking a hold of this championship, showing that he's the man to beat. He really isn't being threatened. And now when I say that, they're riding with him. But when it comes right down to it, this last weekend, he just got he got out front. And I think the thing that surprised me the most, I'd be interested to get your guys' view on it, is Tomac was pushing so hard to try to keep up with him. And there was one spot that he was better at Cooper Webb, and that was obviously the whoops, which we know would be the case. He made one mistake, one little mistake coming out of the whoops, and all the air went out of the balloon at that point. Cooper, I mean, Tomac went straight backwards. Hmm. Interesting. Did, yeah. What did you think about it all, Steve? Well, I think it's been interesting to look at Eli all the way through this year. Because like, I, I really enjoy Supercross because I just watch it as a fan. I don't yeah, sit there and yep. watch a ton of interviews. I don't read about it. I just yeah. sit there for you know two, three hours in the middle of the night watching it. And it's great. I think it's really exciting. I really want to get to a race at some stage. But looking at Eli, because I'm not looking at it with you know, the same sort of insight you get in MotoGP or Superbikes or BSB or anything like that. And because I, I don't, I never really looked at motocross for a long time. It's one of those ones where you look at it and you think he's so talented. He's unbelievable, Eli. But there's always something missing over the course of a full season. There's there's a mistake he'll make. Cooper Webb doesn't seem to make those mistakes anymore. Right. You know, you look at Ken Roxon and, you know, he has all those high moments through the course of a season. Whereas I think Eli seems to have only a couple of peaks. You look at what he did at Daytona, he looked absolutely incredible. And you thought he was going to carry that forward into Texas. And he did all right, but not as good as the other guys. And that's the challenge. And, and that's where I think, you know, you look at Webb and you know he's going to finish top three every every race. You know he's going to give himself the chance of winning a lot of races. And he's just got that momentum behind him now. 
He just rides mistake-free, and he gets out front, and it's like he doesn't care. It's almost like he's just at a practice track pounding out his motos. I mean, when these guys go and do it, I think they do 20, 20 minutes plus two laps right now. These guys, when I used to be around and go watch watch them uh, practice, they'd go up for 30, 35-minute motos on a Supercross track. So 20 minutes you know, in, in the heat of the moment for those guys doesn't really seem like much, but it really only doesn't seem like much to one guy. Cooper Webb, he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make errors. He just kind of grinds his laps away and makes everybody else try to push his pace for that long. And he's just taking control of the championship. And when you talk about the championship, he's got the lead now with five rounds to go. I don't see him. I think that, I think everybody wants to see Roxon win the championship. Tomac to me is a mystery, Steve. Like you say, one weekend, he just looks so dominant. The next weekend, he doesn't. Last year, when we finished the rounds, I think they did the last seven races. Was it Greg in Utah? Was it seven of them? Seven Anyways, or nine or whatever. It yeah. was almost like he just got into a rhythm. He didn't have to leave. He was at the same spot. He just went in there. It was the same dirt, same everything, and he would, and he ended up just winning the championship. Um, but now it just it's there's some weekends where he just sits in seventh and he doesn't go forward. Um, but I think Supercross is always fun to watch, uh, you know, and, and obviously with our Supercross fantasy, um, Greg, we stink. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We well, stink. I mean, I don't stink as bad as I used to, and you have just fallen off the face of the earth, which warms my heart. Well, I don't know how I went up this week and I, it's crazy, but I mean, when you look at the fantasy Supercross, I get so many comments from people and people always asking me about it and talking about it and this and that, um, I can't believe how much play we've got out of it. But when you look at it, there's two huge movers. And Nick Siling is fourth right now. He was back in like 30-something mm. a while back. And just to give you an idea, like this last weekend, he scored 292 points. Wow. 292. So Nick's cheating, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, got to be cheating. And how about our boy Dougie? He's up in the top 10 now. Ninth. That's unreal. Gilbert gets kicked out. He's out. He's Love back it. in the. Yeah, we like that. We like seeing him go backwards. Um, but <laughs> yeah, in fantasy, fun. not in racing, of course. No, no, we want to see him do well in that stuff. But do we know uh, who, who do we know who MK eighty four is? Because MK eighty four now leads the way over Hucklebuck, and Poncho's back in third. I don't styling in fourth. Yeah, I don't know. No, so I mean, it's got to be mean, somebody we, we know. Got five rounds left in that thing, and then. I mean, yeah, we'll be done with we, it. We have, five, we have five rounds left in it for sure. But the one thing I definitely wanted to note was about Cooper Webb. Dude, do you realize in the last seven races, Cooper's got five wins and two second-place finishes. Yeah, so too good. he's only literally given back to his competition. It's 26 for a win, 23 for second. So in the last seven races, Cooper has only given six points back to the field. Yeah, He's it's, maximized those points. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And he's on a three-race win streak right now, which... Uh, yeah, I mean, but I don't think he feels any pressure. Like he'll just go. He'll just. That's what I'm saying. Coop's yeah. just dialed. He's Coop's just gonna dialed. just keep moving forward. I don't think he's he's yeah. worried about it. But um, well, you're down to 23rd anyway in fantasy. Yeah, you're horrible. down. To, you're still I'm horrible. You're fl- you're flirting with getting off of page one though. All I, the way back yeah, down I know. there. I know. I'm, I'm not now. Gonna, that's I'm not up to happen. 60th. So I'm only I'm only 11 away from from getting uh, from getting on page one, which apparently is is the whole deal. But uh, you know, I am holding on to a slim lead over Mini Masshole. <clears throat> Mini Masshole. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Kevin's right behind me, like right, right. behind me now. You so. can always join us in Pulp MX Fantasy. Just go to pulpmxfantasy.com, search for the league's Greg's Garage Podcast, and you can jump in with us. Um, we got to get some Moto America Live Plus passes to people, and whoever wins, as long as you were involved 
in the very first one of the season, which I have screen grabs of the first one, you're going to win an Arai helmet of your choice. So that's our fantasy. Yeah, you know, we've, we we kind of rushed through this because having somebody like Steve on the on the line with us today is, is a great thing. I always like getting into discussions with him. And with MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3 getting ready to start this weekend in Doha, I think that, um, you know, there was some news this morning. Obviously, we've all read it now that Mark Marquez is not going to be around for the first couple rounds of MotoGP. He tested things a lot this last week. We saw him at Portimao, which, Steve, I thought, I mean, if there's a if there's a physical racetrack that you can go to and test an injury, that would be the spot. And um, he ended up going to Portimao. Uh, where else did he? He rode, was it? Uh, he, he rode Catalonia, Catalonia as well. Yeah. yeah. Catalonia. So another one with a lot of hard breaking and things to really test that arm. Um, I think to get started with, you know, what what's your initial view, the fact that Marquez is not coming back for these first two rounds. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I really thought that we were going to see him at least ride in Qatar. Mm-hmm. You know, it might have been a case if he rides in practice and then he sits out the race weekend. But I really thought we were going to see him ride because it's such a test to go to particularly Portimao. You know, we, we were talking about this, actually. And the big test of Portimao, a few riders commented, I think Chaz Davis commented on it, that that downhill entry, if you've mm. got any sort of in- injury into turn one, you're carrying so much momentum. That's the ultimate test. Mark was yeah. able to do, you know, a day there. Didn't seem to have any adverse effects from any of the videos anyone saw. But it's good that he's taken his time on it this time because he rushed back last time. You know, if you if you think back to when you guys were talking in, June or July, whenever Hareth was last year, you know, Jason, you were saying that, that there was no chance that Mark was going to come back. He came yeah. back and then, you know, we haven't seen him since, you know, yeah. so he's trying his best to make sure that he doesn't do that now this year, you know, missing the first two races in Qatar. Look, who won the first two races last year. Fabio Quattararo came away with 50 points yeah. and was nowhere the rest of the year. It's yep. not a death sentence for Mark to be out for these first two races, but it leaves him with no margin for error. Well, and that's the kind of the question I guess I, I could talk about. And we could talk about Marquez. We're talking about a guy that's not even going to be lining up on the weekend. And it's such a big story because he's been out for this long. And the doctors have looked at him, obviously, and said, listen, let's give this just a little bit more time. How what What is the time spread? I gotta, I'm got. i trying to pull up the calendar right now. So we've got the first two at Doha. And then what do we got? We got a little bit of a time off between. Um, yeah, but it's not, it's not really that much. So no, you go, not. what, April? You go to April fourth and then April twelfth, and they're back. They're in Spain, and oh no, that's a res test. That's Sorry, eighteenth. So they have two yeah. weeks, two straight weeks where you go to Portugal. Yeah. So you go they April fourth yeah. to April eighteenth, which is the third round of the of the championship, and that's a pretty physical track, and it it kind of keeps in mind. Maybe that's why they. I mean, I'm sure getting time to test over there and finding place where the climate's good, Portugal's that spot. But almost got to wonder if taking him there was kind of like to get him ready for his first round of the year, which could be there. I like what you said too, Steve, about the championship, because when you look at the championship, there's a bunch of guys that woke up this morning now and probably thought to themselves, this thing's wide open again. Um, you know, when he went out at Jerez last year and we realized that he wasn't going to be back, it really opened up the championship. I thought it made for great racing. All the people out there in the world that were like, oh, we hope Marquez doesn't come back because of this are missing the point because seeing a kid like that ride is – is incredible when he dominates. But now you sit there and you think he's not coming back. If you had to finger, uh, put your finger on one guy, who's your guy? If Marquez, um, you know, obviously with him being gone, I'm putting you on the spot right away, but who's your guy? 
Well, I'll be honest. It's am I, am I putting my hat on for who I think is going to win the championship without Mark, or who will I put my money on to win the championship for, without Mark? Uh, go go in that order. You got I, I personally don't answer. think that he can win the championship this year. I'll go on on a limb. I don't think Marquez can come back and win it. I think that the fact that we've got a two week, you know, two races missed, that could just be the start of another two races missed. We don't really know. And I think that there's a couple of the guys that probably learned a lot last year. And I think that they've proven that the pace is faster. Even in testing at Doha, these guys have gotten themselves up to speed. Will Mark be able to find that extra little bit as soon as he gets back on a bike? I, I don't see him winning the championship, even if he does get to come back after two rounds. I think it's going to be an uphill pa- uh, task for him. Yeah, and I think like when you look at it right now, in four weeks' time, Mark has a physical before the race in Portimao. That's whenever he will find out whether he's back. Now, mm-hmm. a lot can happen in the space of that four weeks to aid his recovery, get him back to bike fitness. But if he misses the first two races and he's got 17 races left, it is that thing of he needs to be able to be right at the front from Portimao onward, winning races, podiums. You know, Mark could do, come in and do that. At the end of the day, with one arm, he was still faster than some of the guys in Jerez too. Yeah. So he's still he's still going to have a chance, but you wouldn't feel comfortable saying Mark is going to be the guy to beat this year. And that's where, for, for me, on the basis of, everything I've seen over the course of the winter, the maturity that we saw last year, I'd be putting my money on Jack Miller because I think you'll get good odds on Miller. I think Ducati's going to be good. He's going to start the season well. Two races in Qatar, that bike's always good in Qatar. So Jack's going to give himself some good early season momentum. And he really seems that he's got a good attitude right now. I talked to him last week after the first test in Qatar and he was full of confidence, you know, and it was quiet confidence. He wasn't, you know, jumping out of his seat, telling us he was going to win races, but you could see that he believes he's going to have a chance, and that's all that a rider wants. Like, you know what it was like whenever you you had your opportunities after some tough years that you're at the right bike, the right team, the right time, and now it's up to you to get it done. And Jack really feels that after so many years where he was trying to get onto the right bike, so many years whenever he was working his way up through Ducati, that this is his chance now, and I think. It's going to be really exciting to see what he does because it, it is that time for him to put up or shut up. He has to get his results now and he has to win races in dry. You know, and if he can do that at the first two races in Qatar, then he can carry that momentum through the year. Yeah, I, I got to be honest with you. I could not agree with you more on that. I think that you're spot on with everything. I think that there's a couple of things that come to mind for me when it starts to think about Jack Miller. Um, he's in the spot that he's wanted to be in for a long time. I think that He's deserving of that spot. He's shown already that he's ready to go uh, after the test. I think that the fact that the Ducati gets to start off at two rounds at Doha is going to give them a lot of confidence, especially if there's a if there's any chance of him being able to go in and win one or two of those. I think to be MotoGP champion this year, you're going to only have to win probably four races. I think the consistency is going to have to be there again. We saw a guy win with one last year. Now, the other thing I think that comes to mind is whoever is leading this championship, even if it's Jack Miller, when Marquez comes back, it's going to be how much if this if Marquez comes back at the level that we expect him to, and you're leading the championship by sixty or eighty points. The last thing you want to do is let your ego get in the way of trying to catch him to beat him. You know, if it means that you've got to go hang your neck out. I think championships always the big picture. That's going to be the interesting fact for all of these guys, including Jack. When Marquez comes back, whoever's leading the championship has to still stay consistent. Yeah, and that, that's going to be the biggest issue. And that's where someone like Mir and Suzuki showed last year exactly the blueprint that you need to win a MotoGP championship now. And 
you know, I, I think it's going to be so tough for Mir to be able to do that back to back. You know, it was quite clear that the Suzuki was a really good all-round package last year. You only had to look at pretty much every race bar, I think it was Portimao and maybe Brno yeah, were the Bruno, only ones where yeah. they struggled. You know, yeah. but the championship was already won. So maybe they were already working on things for 2021 at that race. So it's hard to know. But for me, I think it's going to be tough for Mir. I think the changes that they've made in terms of the structure of the team... I don't think it's going to make a big effect this year. That seems like something that could affect things longer term rather than right now everything can kind of run as it is. But I think it's going to be tough for me because it's just tough to go back to back. You know, that's yeah, why yeah. it doesn't matter what sport you're looking at. If you're able to consistently win championships, that's rare. Yeah, well, the, you know, the fact that you talk about Mir the way you do, I, I have to be honest, the guy that I think is probably my second favorite would be Rins. Um he just always seems to kind of be quietly there. He's always there at the end of races. Um, I think that if they can, if Suzuki, like we documented last year on the podcast with you, and Greg and I talked about it a lot, Suzuki's inability to qualify well. Uh, the only thing that came out of Doha that concerned me is that when they did do their time attacks, they were back in eighth and ninth again. I would have thought that might have been someplace where they had improved a lot over the offseason. Again, Doha is not, uh, is, is, you know, a kind of a Ducati track, I guess you could say. The Suzuki's, though, seem to be very competitive everywhere they go. And had it been for Renz not getting injured at Jerez also at the beginning of the year last year, it could have been a different Suzuki that won the championship. Yeah, and I think that's a good point as well, because Renz, coming into the season, there was that expectation that he was going to be the team leader. He was going to be the guy that has already won races, could lead them forward. But uh, the injuries that he picked up in that crash in Jerez obviously just put him on the back foot. And Mir was able to really carry that forward. I think like the one difference between Mir and Rins, and last year really showcased it, was Mir knew he had an opportunity to win a world championship and he wasn't going to let that slip. And we yeah. saw that whenever he was coming through in Moto3, Moto2, and then even as a rookie in MotoGP. If you think back to two years ago, whenever he was a rookie, he had a massive crash at Brno. And that set him back over the course of the flyaways. Like I remember I went to Sepang and he was really struggling with his breathing because of the humidity and all these kind of things. So he learned an awful lot as a rookie and he put it into really good practice last year. But that all comes back to his his upbringing as well in terms of his early career because he never had good opportunities. He never had, you know, here's a, a factory bike in the CEV championship. Here's a a great bike as a 16-year-old kid to jump onto in, in the Moto3 World Championship. He had to wait a long time for those chances. And then he was immediately able to take advantage of them. So Mir is obviously super talented, but it's his mindset that really impresses me. And that's the difference between him and Rins. And that's why even though Rins can go out and beat Marquez into the last corner at Silverstone and you know wow you with his talent, but Mir is just a better all-round 19-race season kind of rider. Mm -hmm. Let me yeah. throw something in here real quick. I'd like to say that I think that Franco Morbidelli is going to win the championship. And the reason I say that is because, you know, Morbidelli's coming in off of a much more successful point scoring second half of the season last year, you know, with three wins and the whole deal is that I think that Morbidelli also has the right mindset. You know, he won that Moto2 championship just a couple of years ago. He kind of remembers how to do it. So, I think that maybe Morbidelli's going to be the dark horse. I, I like Miller Couldn't as a pick. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, I, I do like Miller as a pick. The thing that I concern myself with Jack Miller is, is 
what championship? How long has it been since he's won a championship? And it does take that, you know, a little bit of knowledge on how to do that. And the other thing that concerns me is it seems like where the Ducati doesn't work, at least with Davizioso on board, it just doesn't work. And there are huge chunks of points you can lose on a Ducati, as well as huge chunks of points you can gain. And it seems like Morbidelli could be consistent, could be there. If if it's really down to the mere formula for winning a championship now, which is just like you're saying, win three, four races on yeah. the season and collect a ton of points. I'm going to write on my on my board here that I pick Morbidelli and you two pick Miller. And I love Jack. And if Jack's listening to this podcast, which I know he never misses, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. But yeah. No. And, you know, so so that's all I'm going to say about that bit is I just well, you guys are talking. I'm just thinking more Bedelli, more Bedelli. And Greg, I think it's you know, I think he scored more points than anybody from midpoint on last year. And I, the thing that you got to think about there is, you know, none of us have talked about Vinales or Quattro. There's going to be some heads in the sand under that factory team if Morbidelli starts coming out swinging and beating those guys right off the bat again. And I think that you're 100% right. I think when you look at the Yamaha, for me, it still hasn't proven that it's that it, you know, the hardest thing for those guys is passing, getting by people. Morbidelli was the only guy it seemed that some of the tracks could do some of that. Vinales and Quattro, even though we've seen them, and I don't think it surprised any of, well, it didn't surprise me. I don't know if it surprised you guys to see all the Yamahas up front when they do their time attacks, nobody in front of them rolling through corners. But it still seems like, you know, even listening to some of Rossi's comments, getting off the corner grip still seemed like it was a bit of a problem. Um, but I think Morbidelli, the, the, the guys that we've mentioned, I think are going to be the guys. Now, I think that there's a couple of wild cards myself, and I wanted to get your opinions on this also, both of you. I really think that one of the... the the interesting stories of the year, who I think is going to do amazing on this bike, I think Paul Spargo is going to have a good season on the Honda. It looked like he adapted pretty well. Everything looked pretty happy at at Doha. Uh, historically, we've seen guys get on that bike and not show that much promise that early. I think it's a very physical bike to ride, and um, I, it looked like it suited him fairly well, Steve. Well, just to just to go back a little bit before I, I talk about Paul, I, I just want to say one thing about the Yamaha. You know, Last year, we saw that it could win tons of races. It won half the races. Yep. But it was also really bad at a lot of races as well. You know, I think they had seven wins, but they only had five other podiums across their four riders. Mm-hmm. You know, Franco it's did crazy. a fantastic job. And I really rate Franco. I think, you know, every everyone saw how good he could be last year. He was tremendous in Moto2. You know, came in from coming from the, the Stock 600 championships and that kind of thing. To really build yourself up takes a lot of effort. And I think Franco's super mature he's got a good attitude if he goes out and he wins the championship i wouldn't be surprised greg but i'd be surprised that yamaha won the championship and that's because you know i think that we saw flaws with them last year obviously because because of the engine issues but i think there's still a lot of flaws there in terms of if you were to look at vinales quateraro there's big holes for them you know can they be consistent over the full season can they deal with the pressure obviously rossi you know he might he'll have he'll have good races and bad races. Franco for me is the lead Yamaha rider, or at least the rider that I would expect over the course of a full season to be able to be the most consistent. He may not win the most races out of them all and this, that, and the other. But you know, if Franco goes out and gets it done, I wouldn't be surprised. But I'd be surprised if Yamaha could kind of do it. So that's mm-hmm. where I I kind of I kind of not so much pick a hole in Franco, but it's just one of those things that if I'm putting my 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 ten quid down on the table, I'm putting it behind Miller. Mm-hmm. 10 quid yeah yeah i mean i don't think there's a question jason you agree with me on this i think ducati is still 
overall the best motorcycle, you know, just the best motorcycle because it may not handle as well as a Yamaha or a Suzuki, but it handles good enough. And when you add to that all the aero stuff on it and, of course, the amount they're getting out of that engine, I mean, forget about it. You know, the speeds are, were pretty phenomenal. So there was a story MotoGP.com posted about like the 10 fastest, you know, um, like trap speeds ever. And all 10 go to Ducati. Like they know how to get to top speed. And if they can really solve their tire problems from last year, and it looks like with their aero package, you're talking about getting downforce without sacrificing top speed, then I, I don't know. I mean, it's a it, it, it situation. Now, Jason, circling back to Paul Espargaro, he was also another rider that was that was kind of in my brain. But if you look at the calendar, Jason, let me throw this back at you. I think that the one thing that's going to catch pull out just because he doesn't have time on the bike is going to be going to those tracks where you're going to rely really heavily on the front on the front end of the motorcycle, whether it's just a couple of corners or whether, you know, because if you look at the characteristics of Doha, but you look at some of the other tracks where you're going to have a really front end, you know, heavy track that you're going to have to rely on the motorcycle, the feel, your experience to get you around. I think you might see a loss of, you know, tuck the front or something out of pole that's going to keep him from winning this championship. That would be kind of like where my brain is. I don't know if there's any. I don't know if I was picking him to win the championship per se. I just think he's going to, I think he's going to have a better year on that bike than a lot of guys that step on the Honda at the start of the season. I think that I agree with. I think he's going to win a race this year. I think when you look back when at the KTM days, I mean, Steve, if I'd have said to you at the beginning of last year that a KTM is going to win the race, uh, win a race, uh, and it's not going to be Paul, I probably would have scratched my head. The fact that three KTMs won the race and Aspargo wasn't one of them was, or you know, the KTM won three races and Aspargo wasn't one of them. I mean, was a bit of a shock to me. Yeah, and then you look at the season as a whole, and Paul finishes fifth in the championship. You know, he yep. was still the top KTM rider. He had exactly. five podiums. I think he had a couple of pole positions as well. So his his speed. Never in question. He's just, right. he's always, he's always had that little bit of a bit of bad luck really in the premier class. But yeah. when you think back to what he was like in Moto2, like he went toe to toe with Marquez all the way through his junior right. career. You know, they were big rivals all the way through. And, you know, I think Paul's a great rider. He was on a bad bike for him whenever he was on the Yamaha. And then he jumped onto a KTM, which was a bad bike whenever it first came into the class. And he's had to work hard at trying to develop that bike around his style. Obviously, an army of test riders has helped, you know, whether that's Pedroza or Calio or whoever you want to look at. But Paul was able to get the most consistent results out of that bike last year. And I think he's a great rider. I, I like. I, I think he's a perfect rider for Honda as well because it fits in nicely with what they want. You know, we saw whenever Mark came into the class that they loved having Danny Pedroza as a teammate. Someone that's fast enough to win races, but someone that Mark's never going to be worried about as well. So for Paul, he's got that motivation to, you know what, I can go out and I can beat Mark. But for Honda, he's the ideal rider because he's better than most riders on the grid. He's a world champion. If he's able to win a race, it's going to make him make that next step as a MotoGP rider. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out and wins a race this year either because he's a quality rider. Yep. Yep. Too true. So that brings into question, you know, a couple of the other guys that you, you know, that you kind of look at. Um, KTM looked to struggle really bad at Doha, did they not? They did, but KTM struggled in Doha as well. Like if you think back the last couple of times we were in Qatar, obviously we didn't race there last year. Right. But, uh, you know, this could just be one of those bad tracks for KTM. And we saw last year that they were an awful lot more competitive in a lot of other tracks. 
Now, I'd also qualify that by saying they were very competitive at tracks where they tested. You think to, you know, Brad Binder winning in, in Brno, they knew what tires they were going to use in Brno from a tire test for Pedroza two weeks beforehand. That gives them a big advantage turning up at the race weekend where everyone else is scratching their heads trying to figure out which tire to use for the race. So it, they did have an advantage that weekend and they took advantage of it. And then, you know, you look at later in the year, somewhere like Portimao, a lot of knowledge there for Oliveira. I've, I've been at World Superbike testing and he's just been out on a, on a Yamaha oh, road bike. Yeah. I so, remember that when we went there and uh, a couple of years ago, remember when they did, they introduced him and he went out, and did like some siding and fun laps he yeah. was on that Yamaha. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you go there, he was always going to be quick. I yeah. think it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at KTM this year. Yeah. Who else is that? What about the what about the Aprilia? What do you what are you guys feeling on this uh, the Aprilia with a lace? Look good at Doha again, but Greg and I always talk about he always looks good at the he always looks good at preseason tests at Doha. He's been fastest there in the past in the preseason tests, but um, I think the lack of not having a really good solid teammate sitting next to him. Now we've heard Dovey's going to go test the spike. Um, I believe he's not testing it until April. You got to think somebody like him having like a Dovey by his side in the garage, I think would just help exponentially get that bike a little bit better. It seems like it's got most of the bits to get there, um, but it'll be interesting to see if this new version of the Aprilia uh, is is able to get up front or, or, you know, get in that solid top six, seven spots. Well, I'll tell you what, Greg, you can, you can cut out what I said to you in July last year about Aprilia and just put it straight in here. Until they start living up to it in race conditions, I'm not going to believe it. Yep. And that's the same that's, as me. That's, that's <laughs> the biggest issue for them because we've seen tons of potential and they never live up to it. And they never live up to it because MotoGP is so competitive and they're the small manufacturer. They've got one rider in their team, you know, Aleish for as good as he can be. And like I know from talking to Tom O'Kane, whenever he was working with him at Suzuki, he always raved about the work that he could do to develop a bike. But Aleish has had one podium in his MotoGP yeah, career. Crazy. He's never won a Grand Prix. That's not to say he's a bad rider by any stretch, but he's not your team leader. And like Jason, if if Davi goes into that team, is yep. it a good thing for Aleish or is it a bad thing? Because suddenly they get to see a guy that's won, I don't know, 20 Premier Class Grand Prix, whatever it is that he won with Ducati, you know, and he's been a front runner, main title contender for a manufacturer. And suddenly that could show up the flaws that they have with relying so much on Aleish. Doesn't it come as a shock to you, though, that Aprilia... I mean, to, in my opinion, they've had a lace for so long. Doesn't it come as a shock to you that they haven't just gone and thrown a boatload of money at a very top guy to get them on their bike to see if it is any good, to see if there is? I mean, it could be a path that a lace has, has sent them down. And like you said, he's never won a Grand Prix. He's never never won a race, but he's been there for a, what, how many years now? Five years? Four years? Five? Yeah, 2017, Six, I think. 17, so five years going on. Um the thing, the thing is, is that you don't really know. You get a guy like Aleish on there. He comes in and says, well, we, you, you got to fix this, 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 oh, this. Do, Davizioso, you mean? What'd I say? Aleish. Sorry, yeah, Aleish. Dovi, yeah. sorry. You put Dovi on the thing, and all of a sudden, he comes in with a, a laundry list of things that need to be improved. As a pro, you got to be sitting there thinking, man, how much time and money have we, have we spent the last <clears throat> sort of three, four, five years kind of listening to one guy without any results? And and I think the worst part of it all as well is we've had five days of testing in Qatar, which is his best track of the year. 
He's mm-hmm. he's great in Qatar. Yeah. I remember on the forward yeah. uh, on the forward Yamaha bike back in fourteen, you know, he should have pole position on a, on that open class bike. You know, he jumped on the Aprilia, finished top six, top seven on his debut yep. for the team, and it looked like oh, Aprilia's going to make this step, and we're still waiting for that these yeah. years later. So you know, it is tough, and you don't want to be too critical on Aleish because there's clearly issues no. within the team. You know, yep. like the team structure has been a disaster, and it's been a disaster because. You know, they had Romano in charge. He's a great engineer. Being a great engineer doesn't mean you're a good manager. Right. You know, like I, whenever I was an engineer, I worked with tons of product manager, project managers that were really bad engineers, but were great managers. Yep. And I worked with a ton of engineers that were, you know, the exact opposite. And it's it's about working to strengths. And maybe they're able to get to that now with the new structures in place. But you believe it when you see it. And that's yeah. the unfortunate reality. I would say as well, though, they did hire Andre Iannone at one stage and they paid him money to be on the bike. So they did try and bring in a top rider. And for all the faults of Iannone, for you know the social media, for everything that's happened over the course of the last year, you know people just want to forget that he was a great rider. You know, you saw him dominating Moto Two races. We saw him winning Grand Prix for Ducati. You know, up until he crashed with Davi in Argentina, he was the rider Ducati were keeping hold of. Absolutely. So, you know, they did try that route and it didn't work out. And because of all the delays with the case and all that, they were never in a position to really cut ties with him because, you know, he still hadn't failed or he still hadn't been found guilty of failing a drugs test at that point until all of that uh, legal battle played out. So that delay then puts them on the back foot for being able to go out and hire someone. So that could also have played a factor in why it took so long for them to be able to get onto a path where putting Davi on the bike makes sense. It just seemed like Iannone, though, as good as he was, he was kind of the train wreck of our time as far as off the track and some of the other little stuff that you'd hear about him. Um, and it's like it's really hard to put your eggs in that basket when you kind of have a rider that seems so volatile. or or Because I was I was and am a huge Iannone fan back when he was racing Moto2. And um, he just had that – kind of had that, that didn't care who he was racing against attitude of like he's just going to – he's going to bring the fight to whoever it is. And I think that going back to the start of this conversation, that's kind of what Miller has. I think if Marquez comes back, um, you know, Chad Reed was on our show a couple of weeks ago and he he brought up a great thing that all these other guys know that they can't beat Mark Marquez. I think that they know that. But a year under their belts, the speed that they're going, I still feel like now there's probably two or three guys that will bring the fight to Marquez that aren't really scared of him. But I always felt like Iannone was that guy as well. Like he wasn't really scared who he had to go against, however good they were. Uh, and it's a shame to see where his his kind of career ended up taking him. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting when the lights go out this weekend in MotoGP. Unless you guys got anything to add, I, w- I was going to go on to Moto2. Go for it. Yeah, well, looking at Moto2 this week, I, I don't know if, if I've maybe been more excited about a Moto2 season as I am about this one. Looking at the final like uh, results from the week, uh, from the last day of the test, combined results. Thomas Luthi is in 20th, and he's one second off. So you Unreal. got 20 guys within a second. I think this championship this year is anybody's. But if there's a year that I think Sam Lowe's can do it, um, it would probably be this one. Coming off the injury, he scored a lot of points last year. Sam had really put himself in the driver's seat, um, having missed the first round at Doha last year with an injury. Got himself back in it. He ended up 
uh, fallen off, obviously, at Valencia and hurting himself there. He wasn't able to bring home the championship, but he was quickest at this test. It was Lowe's over Bezecchi and Remy Gardner on his new Red Bull KTM with Jake Dixon. you got to be proud of him, Steve. J- Dixon in, in uh, fourth. Um, Vieje, Ben Snyder, Buliga, Fernandez, Arenas, and Kinnett rounded up your top 10. And, of course, Cameron Bovier, 13th. Joe Roberts, 14th. Both those guys, 0.6 of a, about 0.7 of a second off. Um, what's your biggest takeaway, Steve, on the Moto2 tests? It's close. And I think that's what's going to be exciting. I'm excited for, for the championship this year as well, Jay, because you know you look at Lowe's, Gardner, Bezecchi, that's your that's your top three. They're the three guys that have the experience you expect to be able to really carry it forward. But then you've got a load of riders that are all in that next group. And that's, you know, your Canets, your Digias. Jake Dixon looks like he might be. You know, he made a big step at the end of last year before his injury. And now it's a question of, you know, was that a couple of tracks where he was really good? Or has he made that real step forward? And that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on over the course of this year. You know, you look at the likes of Joe Roberts. He's going to be good in Qatar. Is he going to be more consistent now that he's gone to a different team? Is he going to be more consistent now that he goes to a team where you know maybe he's put under a lot more pressure technically to be yep. able to lead them, to be able to develop his package? Because the one thing that I, I found really strange last year was every time that uh, people talked about Joe Roberts, they immediately talked about John Hopkins as well. And Hopper was talking the whole time about the mentality of a rider, finding that confident balance that you need, being able to just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And that worked for Hopkins. It doesn't work for every other rider, nope. you know, and, and and Joe was so inconsistent last year. When there was low grip tracks, he looked great. When there were fast tracks, he looked great. When we went to some other places, he really struggled. And that's why he was great in Qatar. He was great in Brno, but he was really bad in a couple. He, he just went missing in a couple of races. And you can't do that in that in that championship at the minute. And you know, Joe was a bit lucky that he was the only American in the field. So if he was a bit inconsistent, he was still a story. That's not the case anymore. You put Cameron Bobier in there and, you know, Cam's got a lot to learn. There's no doubt about that. But you also know that Cam's going to take that methodical approach and make progress all the time. So that's where I think it's going to be just a class filled with stories this year. Now, I had a chance to speak with Joe Roberts this morning about the test. I don't have an interview. I didn't really interview him because I knew that this podcast was Steve, that we're you know going to have a big chunk. But there's a couple things to note. One of them you know, with, with the way that Joe ended up finishing, he was like, he wasn't worried about it at all because he said when he finally put a tire on to go do a time attack, he goes, it was typical moto two. There were people sitting up on the racetrack all over the place, looking for a toe. He just never got a clean lap. And he also said, you know, the one thing you remember about him at Qatar last year, Jay, was he finished 10th in, you know, in practice or in uh, testing, but then he goes out, gets on pole and he, he owns the track record at Qatar on a moto two bike currently. So, what was interesting, though, was I asked him about his relationship with his new crew chief, who's a legend in his own right. And Joe said, look, this guy has so much experience at what he's doing is he's running through certain things that he wants Joe to try so he can figure out what Joe likes. You know, so it's not like they're throwing a kitchen sink. He's got something. So Joe was like, look, it's just trying to figure out what we both, how we communicate, and then making sure that he figures out what I like. So there might be that something to do with that too, Steve, saying that there's different directions that they went last year that they didn't want to go to, as Joe alluded to on this podcast a couple of times, where he's like out in left field. But I think 
just speaking with Joe Roberts this morning, he sounds a lot more confident. He sounds a lot more kind of dialed into what the season is. He's excited without being overly excited about it. And he certainly wasn't upset finishing 14th. He's like, because I was, you know, I I was ready to let it go, you know, to to look at a timesheet and say I'm 14th. Ah, but he understands and gives it some perspective. So that was a, it was a nice, nice little chat that we had. Yeah. And and he's, he's lucky as well, because he knows he's going to a track that he goes well at. You know, if you, if you've got a double header at any track, you want it to be at your good tracks. So Joe's going to feel that, you know what, I had a pole there last year. So I'm going to feel good going there this year. You know, he was in that lead battle last year. What I found interesting last year in Qatar actually was that it was his crew chief that actually got a lot of credit for for that bold position as well. Because whenever um, the qualifying session was on, I was actually down in the Mark VDS pit box and I was chatting to Sam Lowe's at the time because obviously Sam had already been ruled out of action for the weekend. And he said, keep an eye on Joe Roberts because they'll do something different with the tyres during this session. And he stayed out on the one the one set of tires. And that was a, a big difference because everyone else was struggling to get up to speed with the tires. So it comes down to so many factors in Moto 2. And the biggest one is your crew chief. If you've got a good crew chief, you can get good results. And Joe's obviously got a great crew chief. That team won the championship last year with Bastianini. They've had a ton of success in the past as well. So he's got all the opportunities for him. But now he needs to show that he can make all those steps. Because, you know, he's, he's what, his third different team in three years. You need to be able to find something that's consistent, especially in a class like this. Definitely seems motivated. And when you really look at the two guys again, I look at Jake Dixon and I look at Joe Roberts. Both those guys at Lamar last year just had heartbreaks. I mean, Joe qualified on pole. Jake led the race and crashed with two to go, I believe it was. Both those guys have something to prove. I mean, especially now that Cameron's moved in as another American for Joe. I think I think both those guys had pretty good tests. New, you know, I mean, I think when you see what they did even at that race in France, both of them know that they have the pace to win. Both of them know they have the consistency to win. It's just a matter of now putting that together for both those guys because I think they'll both win races this year. I think there could be a number of different race winners in Moto2 this year, and uh, I would definitely put those two guys up top there. What about Cam? I think I think Cam did pretty well to be up there. Uh, where he ended up at the test, history shows Cam's only going to get better. You know, he's only going to get better. Was he six tenths off, Greg? I think six tenths off. Yeah, and then Joe actually mentioned that there was one lap where he actually got to follow Cameron, and he did note. He said, "Do you realize it's the first time I've ever been on track with Cameron Bobier? Wow, ever." And I was like, "Really? What did you see?" And what Joe said simply was, "Is that Cameron is figuring out the Moto Two bike?" Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's still. I'm sure I, I reached out to Cameron. I couldn't get a hold of him today, but I'm sure that there's still things. If you think about it, how long was Cameron on a superbike for? Oh, forever. Right. And yeah. And how long has it been since he's been on a 600 and Moto2 is kind of a blend of the two. I would, right. I would, you know, so yeah, there's still a lot of learning going on with Cam, but for sure, Jay, like you're saying, Cameron is smart enough to surround himself with people that are going to keep his mental attitude bolstered. And so Cam doesn't get to the low of the lows and he's not worried about it. And I think that if you looked at it and said, wow, you know, all these superbike titles and all these track records from last year and I'm 13th, it could be an easy trap, an easy rabbit hole to fall down to into. But I think Bobier is going to be, this is why we kept saying that it's a good time in Cameron's career. I think the maturity wise, for Bobier to go to Moto2 because as Joe Roberts pointed out on this podcast, the test for Cameron Bobier is going to be dealing with on the mental side of things, the ups and downs that Moto2 can bring because we don't see a dominant rider in Moto2 that can just go in there and just, 
you know, start picking people off. It's, it just seems like each week, like I was going to say any predictions for Moto2 in terms of champion for me, I, I might ask you guys that question, which I will right now, but I'm out because I don't have a prediction. It's so crazy in Moto2. There is no chance I'm going to predict anyone to win this championship except maybe Lowe's. But other than that, I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, I think, I think when you look at the, 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 the Moto2 championship, it's just going to be, I get it's a little bit like MotoGP, I think. You're going to have to have that consistency. It may only take three or four wins. And the field just looks so deep. It looks like you could have eight different winners this year, Steve. It doesn't look like it's going to be a championship where one guy can really can dominate it. I think it's going to be another one of those championships where, you know, you, it, you're going to finish fifth or sixth or seventh in a weekend, and you got to take those points and move on and move forward. But you can't end up in the – you can't end up in the – in the gravel traps um, too often. you got to rely on your team to make sure the bike stays reliable. Um, but it's going to be a tough, tough go again, I think, in Moto2. Yeah, and, and I think you're dead right, Jay, whenever you say there's a lot of guys that can win. Like, I think if you were to just look at the start list, you're probably looking at 15 guys that will yeah. all think, I can win a race this year. There's yeah. only 19 races in the season. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a tough one for everyone. What I would say about Cam was we saw that he found, I think, was the, the best part of two seconds during the course of the three days of testing. And obviously, a lot of that comes from the fact he'd never been to Qatar before and you're learning the track and different things. But what's key for Bobier and uh, like you boys are, are, are much better placed than I am to, to be talking about Cam. But what I would view as being key for him is he's jumping from an R1 onto the triple. He's not going back onto the CBR 600 engine. He's going onto a bike where you still have to stand it up on the exit. You still have to use the electronics. It's not about carrying loads of corner speed like you think a traditional right. middle class is all about. This is, you know, three quarters of a superbike, basically. Yeah. So it's it's an easier transition for him. But I think one thing that I really want to stress for American listeners as well is that He's not on the same tires that he used in Moto America. He's on Dunlops in Moto America. He's on Dunlops in Europe, but they are totally different tires. So yeah. he has to learn that as well, because that's already been one thing that I've seen talked about a lot by different people. And it is a totally different set. Like they're totally separate companies between America and Europe and the tires he has, he has to learn. So his experience will be a bit like what Garrett Gerloff had to go through, where instead of, you know, the, the Dunlop, I think in, in America, it's really strong at the start and then it has a drop. And, you know, the one in Europe is going to be totally different from. So there's a lot for Cam to get his head around. Yeah, there's I just feel like when you look at Cam and the history of what you see, um, he adapts pretty quickly. I think as the championship grows, he's going to be obviously getting stronger with more and more time. He'll become less and less intimidated by these guys. I think that Greg knows him pretty well. Um, and speaking even with Jake Zemke and some people that are really close to Cam, Cam can get down on himself, but I think he uses it almost as a way of motivation. Like, in other words, he, he almost is like, um, if, if somebody's close to him or if he's second in a session, he, he gets this, uh, it's almost like he snaps out of a, uh, of it where he, he thinks, okay, I got to go just put my head down. I mean, I've seen this guy do things on the track and I just watch him, the simplicity in which he rides. I think if he gets used to the tires, like you say, I, I'm not. Gonna, I would definitely not count him out because I think he's going to rack up points. I think he's going to be the guy that will be consistent. Consistent. He's not a guy that goes and tosses the thing down the road and and that kind of stuff. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'll say that my wild card prediction in Moto Two would be Remy Gardner. 
I think he's going to be on he's, – he's on a better team than he's ever been on. Um, if he can show some consistency and not not fall off, I mean, that's going to be the big thing for him. We've seen him with pace a little bit like Sam, isn't he, Steve, in the sense that there are those inconsistencies where he leaves you scratching your head on some weekends where you think, well, you're right there. You had a podium sitting in front of you and you've done something silly. Um, but I, I definitely think that Remy will be a possible wild card for the championship as well. Yeah, Remy looks really good, and he and yeah. he's been really good the last few years. He goes well in Qatar too, so he's going to have two good races to start the year. I, you know, you'd expect him to have a podium, maybe a win, and uh, moves on to the European season with a lot of confidence. Just to mention one thing about Bobby as well that that could be important: his team do a really good job of having a bike that's fast in a straight line, and mm-hmm. Ramirez was quick through the speed traps in the test as well. So that could what be a bit both, of an advantage. I think for they them. were one two fastest. Yeah, two. Yeah. They? yeah. So. That, that, that's a big thing for them. And even when you look through the chronologicals, they were consistently fast. So it wasn't a case of just picking up a toe and looking good at the at the end of the day. So that's going to be a big advantage for them. And that's historically been a big disadvantage for some of the front-running riders in the class. Bezeki's a big guy. Sam's a, a relatively big guy as well in terms of the, the profile that he has on, on the bike. So they tend to be a bit slower in the straight. That's something that those riders need to make a step with to be able to just give themselves a bit more of a chance. But I think whenever I'm looking at the championship, I'm looking at Lowe's Gardner and Bezeki. I think we're going to have a load of guys that can win races. I think we're going to have some surprising rookies as well, the guys that are all stepping up. I think Fernandez looks great. You know, yeah. We saw him super fast over a single lap last year in Moto3, loads of pole positions, but was just too big for a Moto3 bike. So he kept getting himself in the wrong positions. So I think he's going to go really well on this bike. He looks good in the tests as well. So I'm interested to see what he does. You know, Ayagura was really impressive in Moto3 as well. It seemed like a very smart rider. So how's he going to adapt to this? That's my boy. G-Dub's boy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Ayagura is my boy. All right. And I, and and if it wasn't for Joe Roberts and Cameron Bobier, he'd be my favorite in Moto2. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard not to. I think Joe's going to have a great season too. He's really motivated. I got to spend some time with him, a little bit of time with him during the off season. Good dude, great guy. I think he's. Uh, and I don't think that where he ended up in this test is really indicative to where I think he could be. Nah, so no, he's not. Worried I think about it. Well, uh, yeah. But listen, you mentioned Iogura in Moto Three because now Iogura is in Moto Two. Yep. But are we even going to tackle Moto Three? Like, who at this point do you pick out in Moto Three? I mean, we know what it was like in practice. You know, but that's practice. We don't really know what people are testing, what tires they have, what time they got on the track, you know, to, to do a time attack, all that kind of stuff. So anybody want to take a stab at the always entertaining and absolutely lunatic Moto3? Well, I got to just, I got to ask Steve, like he's a career Moto3 guy. Can McPhee get it done this year? Uh, do you know what? <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd, love, I'd love to, I'd love to say confidently he can, but I, 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 I wouldn't put money on it. You know, do you know, do you know, do you know him? He's, Steve, do you know him very well? Uh, not very well anymore, but whenever I was in the Grand Prix paddock, obviously you're down talking to him pretty much every day. Yeah. Like whenever I was working for MCN, you have to make sure that the British riders are what you focus on. Are sorted, and, yeah. You know, like he, he was a great, great guy and he, and he still is anytime I see him. And I'd love to see him hook it all up. But... You know, it's tough. He's he's 26 now. You know, you're in that class. He needs to win it this year, obviously enough. And if he goes out and wins it, no one's going to be surprised. But it's also one of those ones where if you're a 26-year-old guy with 150 Grand Prix starts under your belt, you're also not going to get an awful lot of credit for winning a world championship whenever there's so many rookies in it. So, you know, there is that conflict. 
I, I think you know John's going to win races. He's going to be in contention. But 19 races is a long season. Darren Binder is his teammate. Binder is, you know, he's a younger rider. He's fast. He's aggressive. He's a he's a, he's potentially a complete package if he's a little bit calmer at different times. Binder's I think my that guy. It, yeah, I I think Binder's Binder's great. You know, and he's he's got the confidence now of having won a Grand Prix, and you really want him to be able to bring that forward all the way through the season. But I'll be honest. I'm really excited about a lot of the rookies coming into this oh, class. Man, yeah, Guevara. How do you say Eisen? Is it Eisen? Eisen Guevara. Guevara. Yeah. Guevara. I mean, he just goes out and outshine a lot of these guys. I believe he led the second session over uh, this last week. He led the second session and uh, overall. I mean, and of course, when you look at his teammate Sergio Garcia, I believe they're both on the Aspar team um, on the Gas Gas for for a rookie, a guy who never. I mean, how old is he? Uh, he's. Hmm. 15, I think. Is he 15? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, for, for him to be end up fourth overall, four tenths off. Um, but yeah, a couple of the rookies were pretty impressive. Well, I think that like for, for me, Guevara is always interesting because I've had to work in the CEV Championship over the last few years. And he came through from the European Talent Cup into the CEV Moto3 class and immediately adapted to it, immediately was fast. And there was one race last year, it was in Aragon. He's qualified like 23rd, 24th, something like that, a triple header in Aragon and came through and won each of the races, wow. you know, and he was, he was just great, you know, makes decisive moves, understands the pack very well. And just, it was natural for him. And he really impressed me last year. And I'm excited to see what he does this year. He goes into a good team. Like you said, it's him and Garcia. Garcia is already a Grand Prix winner. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure within the Aspar team to be able to live up to some pretty high expectations. Yeah. But whenever you look at a lot of the other riders in the class, they're flawed. You know, Gabby Rodrigo has been there a long time. I think he's 22, 23 years old, mm -hmm. but he, he kept, he kept crashing whenever he was in a position to win races. You know, so we know he's fast, but he needs to iron out those mistakes. Then you look at a lot of guys that have come in from, you know, the CEV championship or from, you know, different classes and never quite lived up to their potential. You know, the likes of, I'd say you could look at uh, Mino and guys like that, guys that are fast, Antonelli, that can get to the front, can win races, but not be consistent. So there's a lot of those kind of riders that are still in the class, you know, Finatis, people that we know are a good measuring stick for young riders, but it's the young riders that I think are, are going to be exciting. There's a big churn over of riders this year, and I think guys like Xavi Artigas are going to be worth watching too. It just seems like it's the hardest championship to win because there's just the potential in every corner and every lap for so much <laughs> carnage. And it's it just seems like it's a hard one. I mean, Jami Masio led the led the way. We haven't even mentioned him, but he's another one of those guys that just seems to do kind of silly things in the middle of races and, and takes himself out of races early on. And um and I think that when you look at it, it, it when you look at the penalties imposed now with crossing over the green paints and some of that stuff, it just seems like somebody's got to step through that's you know that the intelligence side of things has to play a bigger part in some of these moto three riders heads i think in the sense of getting away from the small mistakes that are costly so costly in this championship because if you get docked a time penalty in moto three and you're running third and they dock you three seconds that could I think potentially i mean it legitimately could push you back from third to 13th you know or and if you, you're so bullheaded that you don't even come in to the for the penalty, or, whatever, or you don't do your you know, rides. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's some, a maturity there's, thing here, right? Hundred percent, totally. So, yeah. like some of the young guys and 
It's always fun to watch, but you sit there and you look at like the McPhees and the Fanatis, the Masias. Um, there's there's guys that have been around, but I think if Bender can just keep it on track a little bit, like in the sense that keep his brain on track and finish these races, he always goes to the front. It doesn't matter where he starts. Where he starts, you know, last year it was it was great watching the races because you know he was on he was on the green bike and you could always tell where he was in the pack. Always move forward. So. I think all around, we're all excited about getting the racing starting this weekend. We are. And, oh, sorry, Steve. Do you want to add something yeah, it's, to that? It's just, just to mention something about the likes of Masia, because he's got a lot of experience now, but this is third different team yes. in three years again for him. But mm-hmm. he goes to the IO squad. And the one thing that we know about Aki IO's team is if you're winning races at the start of a season, you'll be back to the hilt. If you're not doing it, that's when all the pressure starts to build on a rider. And we've seen tons of riders that have really thrived under the IO system or riders that have just folded. You know, and the Binder brothers are actually a good example of that because you know, when Brad went to IO, he was under pressure. He was an experienced rider. It was that almost that situation where this is your chance to win a world championship, go out and do it. And he did win it. When Darren went to the team, he struggled at the start of the year. So he ended up falling falling on, on a bit of a, a hard time with the team. So for the likes of Masia, we know what he can do. He's, he's won three or four Grand Prix. He won yeah. both Aragon races last year. So we know he's got tons of talent, tons of speed. He's got tons of experience as well because he's got, this is his fourth year in the World Championship. He's done, I think it was three years he did in CEV. So he, he had 40 starts in CEV, 50 starts in, in the World Championship. So he's in and around 100 starts on a Moto3 bike. So he knows exactly what he has to do. And now he has to live up to the billing that everyone has for him. And like, I think the Moto3 Championship is going to be great. And, you know, it's it's guys like Masia and Binder and, like I said, McPhee, see whether or not they're able to use their experience or else it's the likes of Guevara coming up, Pedro Acosta, the Red Bull Rookies champion as well. Like, he dominated that last year and now he steps up as well. And it's going to be interesting to see which of them really adapts better to the, to the championship. Yeah. I'm excited, excited about it. Yeah, excited about the season. And by the way, a lot of people have been asking about fantasy. So uh, if right now we're recording this on Monday. We haven't really seen the link to it. But if you do go to fantasy.motogp.com, we have a Greg's Garage pod with Jason Pridmore league started. So come join us. It's not a league like it didn't carry over from last year. And um, read the directions, the instructions on how you pick teams and stuff. We're going to be doing that again. And I'm sure we'll have some prizes to announce. The winner of that league will definitely get an Arai helmet of their choice. Uh, Even though I haven't talked to Arai about it, I'm going to commit to it anyway, Jason. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the winner of last year's league. Uh, just got their helmet and they picked a great one. They tweeted about it and it was, it was awesome. And um, you know, you gotta like, it was because of COVID and the amount of supply and all that kind of stuff, it was really delayed. But um, I believe it was a Kenny Roberts replica helmet that, uh, yeah, that our, that our guy chose. So it was Scott Bolton and he, and he got it and he tagged, he tagged you in it too. So I got to look at it. Yeah. The Corsair XKR too. So we got that one. So, uh, thank you so much, Scott, for your patience, obviously, with COVID and all the really crazy things that were going on with supplies and all that stuff. But anyway, we're doing that again. So make sure you join us at fantasy.motogp.com. Find the Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. And, now, Steve- and real quick, real quick on that, Greg and I both, when we went on, to, before we went on today, you can't, it doesn't look like there's a link through the MotoGP website. So not today, there is. When you, when you do mention that, that, uh, you know, 
the the web address. I mean, pay attention to that because Greg and I, both of us couldn't find it on the actual website itself. Like there was last year, there was a direct link to it. So yeah, make sure you go to, uh, to, to the fantasy website. Yeah. So fantasy.motogp. I mean, if you, there is, if you go to the website, there is a, a hub, they call it game hub. And so there is, there's the link there to go okay. to MotoGP Fantasy, but it used to say Fantasy. So you can go on the MotoGP.com website, find Game Hub, and they have MotoGP Fantasy and something called the Predict the Poll Time, something called Predictor. We got to look into it. And they also have the eSports Championship there. Um, so And they have a pre-order for the MotoGP 21 video game. I'm hoping somebody will send me that so I can do a review for a website because, you know, pre-order. Anyway, um, Jason, Steve, you're welcome to stay on the line for this stuff, but we're going to talk real quick. Jason, just breeze over battle of the olds is happening this weekend, coming up in Chuck Walla, myself against David Kolb. Uh, so if you want to come out to Chuck Walla and watch, um, we're going to do some video probably through my phone of just have someone hold it. So it's just going to be track side of live video. It'll be either on my Facebook page, or maybe I'll do it on the Greg's Garage YouTube channel for those people that don't have Facebook. Jason and I will will link up like the links and everything where you can see. So Colb and I are going to be doing two races. We'll be doing it at 400s and doing it on 600s in the Formula 40 class. Also, if you haven't seen or heard, I have Greg's Ride to the Races. And Greg's Ride to the Races is a Hudson Valley Motorcycles uh, supported Ducati Multistrada V4S. And I'm going to be riding to a bunch of Moto America races, Road Atlanta, VIR, Road America, The Ridge, Laguna, all around the country. And I'll be doing video of that. There's some video up already. So if you go to YouTube um, and go to Greg's Garage TV, you can you find get, Are you there. getting paid a ton of money to do that? 0.0. What What's the motivation to ride a motorcycle all the way? I mean, it's one thing to ride around England. It's like six hours here, six hours there. <laughs> what, like, what's the motivation to, to ride right all over the place here. Honestly, dude, it was just something I came up with a couple things. Number one, scooting USA 17 years ago where I went oh. across country on a scooter with Parisi. So I was thinking about that. Number one, number two, <laughs> it's, it's really, I'm, I'm partnered with the, with the Rever app itself. So Rever, I, I like that app and, and getting out there and riding. And then of course to help promote Moto America to hopefully a different audience, you know, the adventure touring audience, cause it's on a multi-strata. So it's just a lot of things. Um, you know, I think COVID really got me thinking about, you know, getting older and the amount of time I actually get to ride a motorcycle and why I started doing this. So you're reflecting is what's going on here. Steve, this is going to be great because I tell you right now, we're going to get about two or three races into this and I'm going to have to sit next to this guy in the booth listening to these stories of how hard it is to ride places. And I'm going to tell you something, Jay, because Gordon Ritchie in the World Superbike Paddock, one of the best journalists in the paddock, he did this last year. Gordo, and, uh, as you like to say, Gordo. Hey, how's the ride, Gordo? Gordo. Yeah. <laughs> El, El Gordo was uh, doing it last year, and uh, he loved it. But it was something he always wanted to do. But obviously, it was a necessity. He didn't want to go back to Scotland and have to quarantine and all this kind of stuff. So he ended up just loading up his bike, rode down through the UK, got in the the tunnel over to France, and then just rode from France down to Hareth for the first race. And then just stayed in Europe the whole way through. Wow. And he said it was the best season he ever did. Now, yeah. whether or not his wife thought it was her best season to have the house dead twice, <laughs> that's a different story. But he absolutely loved it. And, uh, you know, there was days whenever he got caught in the worst storms imaginable. We actually, um, we had I one day, I think it was in Aragon, where he got really caught out. 
by a massive storm and he had to just obviously stay in underneath a, a bridge for like three hours waiting oh. for it to pass. And, uh, you know, he was texting me because we were supposed to record a podcast and, you know, he was there. Said, I'm going to be like half an hour. I'm going to be half an hour. I think <laughs> man was half an hour for fucking half the day. But it was worth it whenever he got there because he had his story and he had yeah. something to, to tell you about. And, you know, that's that's why it's going to be fine. Every, everyone should do something that just gives them something a little bit different. And, you know, the last year has been tough for everyone. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's been, you know, the restrictions that we've had going to races or restrictions inside the paddock, that's small fry compared to what most people have gone through. And this is something where you're able to actually enjoy the season. And you're also able to just get out and ride through the country and see parts of America you never saw. Like I always loved it when uh, you used to watch the NFL coverage and John Madden would be talking about getting on the train or, or driving across bus. the country. Bus. Yeah, you know, on a bus. It, yeah. It was great. You yeah. know, who wouldn't want to do that? You know, so I, you know, we're going to make fun of you through the year, Greg. Don't worry about that. But, you know, until it starts, <laughs> well, you know, I think it's great. Well, the, uh, yeah, until it starts. Well, yeah. Greg, what you don't know about Greg is he is not afraid to drive. This guy, hmm. I mean, Steve, we, uh, real quick story, but we had to do a school once. I had a star school in Chicago on a Monday, and we were in Birmingham, Alabama, and our flight got canceled. And the earliest flight we could get was Monday morning. Greg and I left the airport. We got a hotel next to the airport in Alabama to fly out first thing in the morning to get to Chicago. And we're sitting in that where we weren't even in the hotel, what, for like five minutes, Greg, 10 five minutes. minutes. And minutes. Greg says to me, you know, if we rented a car, we could drive there tonight. And I said, you're out of your mind. And we'd already paid for the hotel. We're already in the room. Next thing you know, we're getting a cab back to the airport. We're getting in a rental car. And this guy drove after, after doing TV and stuff for three days. He never stopped. He drove all the way through the night. I got to give you credit. He drove all the way through the night and got me to Blackhawk Farms at like 730 in the morning. And I was teaching the class at 815. Yeah. Like he literally said, "Let I need to be there at 730. And I rolled in at 729. It was like 729. <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. And if you look at, you know, it was, yeah. So he's not afraid to do it, but it's still going to be fun to, to razz him a little bit about it. So, well, there's one trip where I'm going to go North Carolina to uh road america which will be fun i'm gonna fly home for a couple days go back pick up the bike at road america and then drive all the way over to seattle washington to the ridge fly back for a couple days go back pick up the bike go down to laguna and then when laguna is over i'm gonna ride all the way home all the way back yeah that's gonna be a that's gonna be a big one i mean they're all gonna be big they're all it's all gonna be big but but i'll be doing video along the way so i'm trying to work it out where i do some live streaming from the motorcycle for anyone who's interested during the day but also in the evenings I'll be doing some vlogs, so I need to leave. It's not going to be an A to B. I'm going to have to to schedule some time where I'm going to have to stop and you know by myself with a GoPro and set up the camera and ride back and forth and turn it and do you know. So it's going to take a little bit of, a little while, but you know. So I'll be blowing through most of my stories on YouTube, so yeah. you guys won't have That'd to hear a lot of them. Well, <laughs> I tell you, the, the only the only time I can sort of find anything remotely com- comparative for me was I remember in, in 2014 it was my last year as an engineer and I was going to a lot of races on the back of trips with work and all this and I was trying to make everything work and I was down in Valencia and uh, you know I was there for the race weekend Sunday evening about 6 30 7 o'clock I filed my last bit of copy and, and I got in the car and I had to drive to from Valencia all the way up into the Basque country 
and it was I don't know a 10 hour drive or something like that so I left the paddock at seven o'clock and I arrived up through like snowstorms freezing oh. fog up in the Basque oh. country and all this I arrived at like six o'clock or something like that and I had to check into my hotel grab a shower and at seven o'clock I had to go to work and I went to work and uh, you know I managed to condense three days into two days and uh, on the Tuesday evening I got in my car and I drove back down to Valencia to get the last day of testing and uh, it was it was halfway down to Valencia that I had to have this moment of reflection where you know every <laughs> every freelancer has this moment and everyone that's trying to break into the paddock and try and get a job has this moment and I was driving through like it would have been like the wine country of northern Spain and I was just thinking what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going back just to, to do like one day of testing. And I went down, did one day of testing. I turned up into the media center and uh, one of the other journals was there and he was asking me, where have you been the last couple of days? And I said, oh, you know, I, was, I had to go work for two days up in, up in the Basque country. And they were there like, what do you mean? And I said, well, oh, I'm an engineer as well. And then they said, Jesus, I didn't know that because I'd been to all the races that year. And they went back and they tried to find me a job for the next year to be full time in the MotoGP paddock. And it was one of those moments where you got back in after all this drive and all this to and fro mm. and you felt like, you know, maybe you could actually do something full time in racing. And, you know, it's it's a fun story to look back on. At the time, it was an absolute disaster. And I'm sure it's going to be the same for you on this trip as well, Greg. <laughs> well, what I, what I, this bike is amazing. The Multistrada V4S is full of electronics. I really need to spend some time after this podcast to, to build a video about it because I definitely got some thumbs down on these videos I posted because I haven't really done a review of the bike yet, even though I've already ridden it 600 plus miles in, in, you know, in two days. But I, I have other things to attend to. You know? But the good thing is about this bike is it has cruise control which is amazing. So when you start to, if you're on the slab, you're on the freeway, you're droning down the road, it is really nice to be able to stretch out on the bike when you have cruise control. And it has adaptive cruise because it has a radar system on it and collision avoidance. I'm uh, not collision avoidance, but um, uh, blind spot protection. So that is actually gets activated. So it's not active right now in the US because it hasn't been approved through the NTSB or whatever it is. So I'm getting it soon because I am quote unquote, and, I'm, and believe me, these are hard quotes because I'm media. But um, so that's going to be really nice. I'll be able to do some reviews on that and having that little bit of extra, you know, adaptive cruise control, blind spot protection. The lights for the blind pot spot protection are actually at the top uh, inside corner of each of the mirrors and they're, they're orange lights. So you really be able to catch your eye if you see someone in your blind spot. So it's kind of cool. I'm going to go over the bike. It should be fun. I say that now, but props really to the folks at Hudson Valley. I mean, they're lending me this motorcycle for the season and I said, dude, I have the potential to put 20,000 miles on this bike. And Richie Alexander was like, yeah, okay, go ride the thing. Trust me, really Richie's going to get enjoyment out of the stories of this. So he's yeah, doing it. Yeah, it's going to be all right. More laughing, more laughing. Can, all right, listen, can I just guys, ask you one question, Greg? Yeah, go ahead. How, how many <laughs> How many thumbs down did you get on your video on YouTube? Uh, the, the the one that I just posted the last time I saw, I had three thumbs down and three three thumbs up. Okay, well, that must have been me, Jay, and your brother with thumbs <laughs> down. <laughs> Jeff White? Oh, boy. Jeff White. Oh. Jeff White was there. Jeff White came out to the dealership when I picked it up. So Don't worry was... about the haters, G-Dub. Who cares? Yeah, yeah no, it's going to be fun. And, um, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll get some support, um, sponsorship to, to help offset the cost. Because although it looks good on paper, the amount of extra money I have to spend on hotels driving all over the country and gas is pretty impressive. But, look. 
Steve, thanks so much for joining us. On next yes. week's show, we're going to talk MotoGP season opener. We're going to break it all down for you. We're going to talk about Battle of the Olds and what exactly happened in my battle with David Kolb. Did I win? Battle. Did I not win? Ugh. Yeah, I know. Battle. And other stuff. A look ahead of the weekend's calendar. Uh, MotoGP, of course, from Qatar. It's the first of two back-to-back race weekends for them in Qatar. And there's a bunch of off-road stuff happening in the U.S. GNCC. Uh, is in South Carolina. Heron Hound is in Murphy, Idaho. So some good racing in Idaho. Best in the desert in Laughlin, Nevada, and works in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. So Steve English, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an illumination of a podcast. We appreciate all of your insight. Jason, you're a moron. Thank you very much, G-Dub and Steve. Thanks, as always. Yeah, always fun to talk to you, boys. All right. So make sure you subscribe. If you're still listening, props to you. We appreciate it. Until then, enjoy the race weekend, everybody. Whether you're at Chuckwalla with us or you're watching MotoGP, it's going to be amazing. 